Welcome to the Boardroom Governance Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Epstein. In this episode, I talk with Peggy Ferran, the Chief Governance Officer, Senior Vice President, and Corporate Secretary of Prudential Financial, a famed Fortune 500 company. She has been a corporate governance leader throughout her career at Sarah Lee Corporation, Pfizer, and JP Morgan. Peggy also serves as a director on the board of Orion Group Holdings, and she previously served on the boards of Occidental Petroleum Corporation, the Money Group, and the Money Life Insurance Company. She currently serves as an active member of many influential advisory boards, including the Council of Institutional Investors, the American College of Governance Council, the American Bar Association, Catalyst, the Weinberg Center for Corporate Governance, NACD, the Center for Audit Quality, the International Integrated Reporting Council, ICGN, and the Society for Corporate Governance. In this podcast, we discuss her corporate governance career, including board service, corporate purpose and culture, ESG and sustainability, boardroom diversity and composition, in addition to shareholder activism and our standard set of rapid-fire questions. If you like the show, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing this podcast on social media. You can find all the show notes on the website boardroom-governance.com and please feel free to subscribe to the Boardroom Governance newsletter at evanepstein.substack.com. Peggy, it is so great to have you in this podcast. You are one of the leading thought leaders in governance, and it's an absolute pleasure to host you and to have a conversation about corporate governance with you. Uh, Thank you very much for taking the time to join me. Evan, thank you so much. And, you know, you talk about leaders, you're someone I've been following for a long time. So I, I was delighted when you asked me to do it. That's great. All right. So as I usually do with our guests, the idea is that we're going to go through your origin story, and then we're going to dig into some of the corporate governance hot topics. And you have such a long track record in corporate governance, but why don't we start from the beginning? Like, you know, tell me where did you grow up and and let's move upwards from there. Sure. Um, I grew up on Long Island. I was the uh, middle, the fourth of six children. Mm -hmm. My father was a New York City police officer. My mom was a nurse. Um, And uh, it's it's a large kind of Irish Catholic chaotic family. So, um, you know, it was a a lot of love and a lot of dysfunction. So um, I I tell people that's helped me greatly in corporate America. (laughs) <laughs> That's good. And, and so then you uh, you went to Notre Dame and you did both your college and your JD there. You know, how was that? And how did you move into corporate governance in, in your in your practice? Well, it was it was fabulous. My year uh, it was the first year of women graduating from the University of Notre Dame. Hmm. So again, when you grow up Irish Catholic, there is no better place in the world. So, you know, you're counting down the numbers. So I I felt that I died and went to heaven to have that type of opportunity to go to Notre Dame. Um, uh, You know, the winters in South Bend probably had something to be desired, (laughs) but the university was wonderful. You know, the opportunity... Um, to learn in that type of community. And it's actually a fairly small school. Um, so, so I felt very grateful for, for that opportunity. And then I ended up staying uh, for three more years to do my law degree there. So, um, you know, a great experience. Um, 
you know, like every parent, I tried with my girls and they laughed at me. So they ended up going other places. So for each their own. Mm-hmm. But but for me, it was a great experience. Lots and of so, friends and lots of mentors. Yeah, that, that, that's great. And so from there, you you started. Uh, how did you start your legal career? Well, I uh, ended up going to a Wall Street law firm um, and. Um, you know, I learned a lot, but the probably the most important thing about going to that firm is I, I met my husband now of mm-hmm. 36 plus years. Uh, and then I left um, and I ended up, uh, I went to Mellon Bank and I did M&A. I'm a corporate transactional M&A um, as well as SEC um, and then ended up um, at, uh, at JP Morgan for, uh, for almost 12 years. Um, and um, went to Pfizer that mm-hmm. I was at Pfizer for about 11 years. Um, I went and I became general counsel of Sarah Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've been at Prudential now for over 11 years. So they're, they're all connected. They're highly regulated industries. Um, and they're, 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 they are companies where uh, management and the board are, are really focused on on integrity, um, compliance, and governance. Um, so, and I, I got in at the bottom, uh, really the bottom level of governance when I was at J.P. Morgan. It was just really being established. Mm-hmm. So, I really I got to know folks on both sides: institutional investors, the activists, uh, the corporates. Um, you know, some some of the greats and. That's when I came to the conclusion, you know, I, I can work with almost anyone as long as they have character. Mm. Um, and, and, and I think what brought us all together is we wanted uh, through governance, you know, we, we wanted a better efficiency and, and oversight and monitoring and, um, and effectiveness for, for boards and companies and stakeholders. So, are we talking about uh, the '90s in in J.P. Morgan, the early yes. '90s? Okay. Yeah, the '90s. I would say the mid '90s or so, early right. to mid '90s, uh, where it was just being developed. Um, Dennis Weatherstone was CEO of J.P. Morgan at the time, and he was on the General Motors board. Mm-hmm. So I got the opportunity to see it up close and personal. Uh, and meet some of the greats like Ira Milstein, mm-hmm. um, you know, who who I, I learned a lot from and, you know, greatly admire. And I suppose after 2002 and WorldCom and Enron and Sarbanes-Oxley, corporate governance really picked up in terms of more development, right? Well, uh, the answer is yes. But interestingly, I, I went to Pfizer for a reason because mm-hmm. there was a a gentleman uh, there by the name of Terry Gallagher and a CEO by the name of Bill Steer that really and truly cared about governance. And, uh, you know, I knew uh, Terry through various organizations um, that were focused on governance. And I had met Bill Steer at the Council of Institutional Investors. So when the opportunity came to, to, to go to Pfizer as um, in their governance area, uh, because Terry was close to retirement age. It's something I jumped at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was an organization that really and truly cared about governance and cared about stakeholders uh, and cared about engagement uh, and recognized the value of governance. Because in the beginning, Evan, and you're probably too young to remember this, mm-hmm. but in the beginning, there was a real question on whether or not um, 
governance mattered. You know, right. it, you know, was it cost effective? And I remember talking to Peter Clapman at TII Craft, mm-hmm. uh, another great, you know, mm-hmm. one of the, the the kings of of corporate governance. Um, and um, it was interesting because there was a, a takeover um, by uh, by Pfizer. Um, it was um, and. Um, the uh, the other company um, received a letter from institutional investors um, to their board that they probably didn't give to the board, um, and somehow you know they talked to you know various investors. I think including TIA Craft, you know how who sent this letter saying you really should talk to Pfizer. You know we, you know if it's a better offer, it's a better offer. Um, and and you know Peter would point to that. That made a big difference. You know, as soon as that was reported in the Wall Street Journal, you know, the board called the next day and said, let's talk. There was a lot of litigation, very Mm -hmm. expensive litigation. It probably would have gone another six months. But by by uh, by really working through the governance with institutional investors, you know, it it was worth it. You know, Pfizer was known for its governance. Pfizer was known for its board. Pfizer was known for doing things the right way in a, in a governance sense. And it really did pay off. So I think you're right. It was about that time that things really started um, started going. And then, you know, and then you go a little further, 2007 um, at right. Pfizer. First meeting of the board um, or board leaders and institutional investors. And we did that in 2007. Uh, and um, a very famous, again, another uh, giant, uh, you know, in, in the corporate legal, um, one of the best known law firms, you know, wrote a memo to clients calling it governance run amok. <laughs> if it wasn't for the wild Gottschall firm came out with a counter memo, you know, saying no, you know, actually the board members listening to institutional investors is not a mortal sin. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the role of institutional investors and the, the, the rise of institutional investors and how that has impacted governance. But I'm curious, uh, you, you in many of these uh, corporations, you initially served as associate general counsel or general counsel, and now in Prudential, you're chief governance officer. So, can you tell us more about how you evolved from a role of general counsel to a chief governance officer and what are the differences for those people who don't know what this uh, job entails? Well, actually at Pfizer, I was also the chief governance officer. Mm-hmm. And what the chief governance officer is, you know, you're, you're mainly focusing, uh, you know, on the, the, the governance area, probably you're doing SEC reporting, you're doing disclosure, you're doing engagement. Um, you're doing uh, not only care and feeding of the board, but education of the board. You're doing engagement um, and you're advising on various strategies for the board and committees. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, even in, I would say, the 90s and certainly 2000s, um, the environmental, you know, looking at stakeholders and looking mm-hmm. at the environment um, and looking at um, your social commitments so again, those were the early years where you know we we may have been ahead of the game, but that's what uh, that's what chief governance offices do. Um, they 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 have some of the similar roles as a corporate secretary, but 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 so much more on that with respect to 
um, the governance engagement uh, advisory uh, roles, um, as well as strategy for the board and senior management of a company. Okay. I mean, that, that, that is really interesting. And obviously, it's been evolving. So one question of, after you join Prudential, you've also joined some boards of companies. And so why don't you tell us about your transition uh, to uh, serving as a board member and how did that complement your experience? And, and obviously, that is a different role because now you're a fiduciary to those companies. Absolutely. And, and I guess I've been on boards for a while, um, you know, um, and I, w- I was approached by, uh, by a search firm um, because I think they probably got a lot of recommendations by talking to other board members who I knew and perhaps even some of the institutional investors. You know, there's been a various, uh, you know, particularly probably in the 90s and you know the the early two, 2000s um there were there were companies that had issues particularly in governance and, and one of the one of the strategies of redemption is why don't we bring someone on that you know represents good governance so you know those were the days that i would get a lot of those types of phone calls and several other people you know in in, in the same category but you know, it's interesting um, from a board perspective, having worked with boards, understanding you know uh, the duties and obligations of board members, but also knowing what the difference is of being an executive officer, being a board member. Um, I actually think it was probably an easier transition than most, because you're you're aware of 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 those uh, roles and and how different they are. Um, having a background in transactional, uh, corporate transactions, you know, knowing SEC, knowing some regulatory, some of the compliance was also helpful and, and perhaps some of the human capital management. So I think that's pretty much how I, I began um, uh, board work um, and, you know, kind of went from there. So mm-hmm. um, it's been it's been very interesting. Okay. And so you have served the Moni Group and the Moni Life Insurance Company, Occidental Petroleum, and now the Orion Group Holdings. Obviously, these are very large companies and Occidental probably also being uh, subject to a shareholder activist and very much in the limelight. And and so how was your uh, first public company board and and how did it evolve from there? Uh, My first pump, uh, Amoni was an insurance and insurance holding company, which is interesting because um, it's actually helped in some ways, you know, uh, being at Prudential um, uh, while I had done some legal work for insurance companies. But, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, they're all similar in a lot of ways, you know, which is really what it, what's your duty as a director to oversee, to monitor succession planning, um, you know, regulatory oversight risk, which is incredibly um, important, Um, cybersecurity, um, uh, technology, uh, data, you know, where are we on that? You know, really doing things like dashboards um, from a compensation perspective, you know, how do you do that? So, you know, those are the types of things that you learn. And, you know, your first board, you may learn more by the second board, you know, even more. So even though they may de- be different industries. 
Okay. Now, and, and it's obviously a very big roles. And, and, and in addition to other advisory roles that you've had in many governance organizations, uh, all the way from the Council of Institutional Investors to the Business Roundtable and many others. I mean, if I, if I would list them all, we would take uh, 10 minutes. But let's dive into the uh, hot topics in governance. And, and why don't you tell us a little bit more about Prudential, kind of its history, and where are you today? I mean, the organization has about $1.5 trillion of assets under management, but maybe not everyone knows it. And for those listeners uh, maybe they. Uh, it'd be nice to get a little bit of a feedback from you. Okay, great. You know, Prudential is a demutualized insurance company, so we have only been a public company for a little over twenty years, um, which is interesting for me because I came there um, a little over eleven years ago. So I, I could see some of the things, and I'd say, "Well, why is it that way?" And I realized because they were a mutual insurance company, and when they became public, they they did it a little differently in order to to, to get there. But um, but but uh, Prudential is known for insurance, but it is uh, it is a leader in the retirement industry, as well as as you pointed out, being an asset manager. Um, it is a company with a purpose. 146 years old. Uh, it's located in Newark, New Jersey. Um, when most companies uh, uh, left Newark, uh, Prudential stayed, and they have an incredible partnership and commitment with 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 Newark. Um, and and um, the the amount of commitment is is extraordinary um, by by every by the board by the senior executives, um, and and uh, Newark's success is really tied to to our success. And I think that's really most of the executives look at that. It's a company with a purpose. You know, it, it was uh, you know, stakeholders uh, were also very, very important. It, it attracted me because of that, hmm. because it is a company with a purpose. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that, because obviously today that's a huge topic of governance, right? Purpose of the corporation, the business roundtable came out and with this new statement that the corporation should have a purpose and beyond just shareholders. So what you just described, which has been, you know, the ethos of Prudential is something that now is tried to be implemented everywhere. And and the, the, the discussion is really about this idea of the shareholder primacy versus stakeholder capitalism. And you know, it's great that you are in this uh, company. Why don't you tell us how? What is the approach that you think makes Prudential different in in the governance uh, realm? Maybe the discussions in the board, or 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 maybe in your case, the uh, Newark and the community plays a primary role, or at least a very very important role, as opposed to in other places, right? So it, it'd be very interesting to to have your take on what do you think about this new debate? Is it new? Is it is it the same old debate? But where do you fall in this uh, in this new business roundtable statement? Well, you know, the interesting thing when I look back at Prudential, it really started as a you know an insurance company that collected nickels and dimes from working class folks um, for for insurance, burial insurance. You know, so it, you know, so so I think that's where the roots are. On um, there's a purpose, um, and they do it with pride, um, and they're there for your protection. Um, and, 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 and to help your family. So perhaps that's where it started because um, they, 
they're very special people. And as I said, uh, probably another big piece is Newark and, um, and, and their devotion and dedication to Newark, um, as well as um, the, their impact investing that they've done a long, long time. And last year, uh, they, they reached uh, over a, a billion dollars in impact investing. You know, issuing green bonds, you know, being the first insurance company, it's in their DNA. Um, and, you know, it, it attracts people who care about that. And it attracted me. That was one of the things I found really uh, important for me is, is to have, uh, to be in a company that valued uh, the commitment to stakeholders. Now, I believe in order to be uh, a, a successful company, you really have to do both. You've got to look at your community. You've got to look at your employees. And you certainly have to look at your customers. And I'll, I'll throw in community. You really have to look at your environment. Um, it's, and it's not only to attract employees, but it's to get, I, I see my three daughters, you know, they long, long time ago, you know, they didn't want to purchase goods or go to restaurants if they felt the people did not have values. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, I think you need to do both. You, you certainly, um, you know, I, 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 I don't necessarily see that stress. You've mm-hmm. got to figure it out. You've got to do it both. Just the same way people say, well, how do you manage short-term and long-term at the same time? The answer is you've got to do it. It's one of those things. And I think Prudential does an exceptionally good job at that. You know, um, diversity and inclusion has always been important. The environment, sustainability, climate, that's something that's been, you know, that, that they've been thinking about for a long time. I mean, we have a, an expert on our on our board, you know, on, on both, you know, human capital management, um, uh, because he was the former head of the EEOC, but, um, but because of his background in sustainability. Um, so those are things that we think are important. Um, so, so that's why when this whole discussion came about, I, I kind of chuckled to say, well, it's nothing new. It's, Mm. it was the same really at Pfizer for that matter. They, it's a balance for them. Um, Can I ask you a question there? Because another source of thinking comes in the world of B Corps and benefit corporations. And the idea was, hey, you know, we don't have to have shareholder primacy. And in fact, in our charter, we add all these different beneficiaries. In your case, right, it seems that that wouldn't even be necessary. There is some sort of convergence in objectives, but why create a new form if you could achieve it as a C-Corp, right? Like, I think that is an interesting evolution. And and obviously, there are some benefit corporations that are now going public, and there is a movement that I would say has uh, grown in importance a little bit because of what you said with your daughters as well is, hey, maybe we want to have a seal of, you know, a B Corp seal, or, or we want to know that you are also doing good and that you are being accountable for that. So what do you think about that? I mean, how does that contrast how you've been describing it? The interesting thing is, um, and we're very supportive of B Corps, you know, and, and I, 
you know, I've, I've done a lot of work in that area and Prudential has done a lot of work in that area. I think one of the issues, if you look at the institutional investors and, and the large corporation, we just don't have that robust um, book of law, you know, and cases, you know, so, so just look at a M&A deal, you know, which you know you're going to end up uh, having to close some of the um, factories, you know, and let go employees. You know, how do you balance all of that? There's not law there that tells you. So you could have a board, you know, that's looking at that, but they they, they don't really have that legal guidance. Okay. So one of the big questions and you've mentioned this about Prudential, is purpose and culture. And in governance, there's always been the idea of the tone from the top. And why don't you walk us through the practical side of that? I mean, it does sound nice and it's it's logical, but how do you manage the tone from the top, maybe with your board in Prudential? Well, you know, that that is a really interesting question. Um, at Prudential, and as I said, that's one of the reasons I was attracted to it. It's really ingrained, you know, because their culture is is you know is many 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 years, and and it's built on top of something that was built on top of something that was built on top of something, and and there was a purpose. Uh, there was a purpose to. Uh, help people navigate um, and and um, have that uh, protection that they needed, um, and and I think they actually ended up recruiting for that. Um, it was a mutual insurance company, so it was for everyone's benefit. So that may be one of the reasons why that was our original culture. They they actually. Um, uh, when they looked for board members, they looked for board members that really had that point of view or that um, the, the perception, the way they looked at things. They also uh, look at employees that way. You know, it is very interesting. At one point, I said, I think, um, I, I actually think they 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 recruit for that. You know, uh, which is is having that sense of purpose that you're working for a company that is actually going to be um, helping, is going to be um, uh, making lives better in one way or the other. Um, and so this is so instilled in our leadership, it just becomes very natural. Um, and I've seen this with some companies, and, and I certainly have seen it with Prudential. Um, so if it's part of how you live your life and how you work, um, and that you have a commitment to your community, um, that you treat your employees with respect and well, um, and uh, you uh, also uh, are good stewards to your shareholders. Um, I think this is what you get. And what about this movement uh, that is tied into what you just said in terms of purpose and culture? of ESG, right? The environmental social governance. It seems like it's a new wording of something that has existed for a long time, whether it is corporate social responsibility or others, but it's becoming probably the biggest story in governance, at least if you look at institutional investors and the amount of money that is going into ESG. 
How do you think about this from your perspective as a longtime governance practitioner? Is this something, I mean, how do you think about ESG in the long arc of governance? Well, I think it's always been there. You know, mm -hmm. this is very interesting. At least those of us that have been involved, like you, Evan, you've mm -hmm. seen it. We talked mm -hmm. about it yeah. 15 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. It has been there. I, I think what this is, it's, it's gone mainstream. But I do believe if you take, uh, particularly some of the larger companies uh, or companies that are consumer-facing, um, these are things that they have been focusing on. They certainly have been focusing on the S. Um, they focus on the G and institutional investors, I think, were very helpful with that. You know, go back to our story 30 years ago when I began, uh, it really was the institutional investors, the state pension funds, the unions, you know, that were focusing on this. And, and um, you know, I was very fortunate because I was, uh, you know, I was allowed to be a, a part of that group um, to learn and to expand on that. And then the same is true with environmental. You know, there are people like Tim Smith of, of, of Boston um, and, you know, various other groups that were talking about, and Ceres, my gosh, I've been involved with Ceres for at least 20 years that have been talking about this. So, so I think what it is, it's just gone mainstream. You know, mm -hmm. just like I would say, um, and my board would say, um, you know, to, for example, for example, the number of women you have on your board, which is very important. It's critical to me. I'm a woman. I mentor. I support that. But I would say it's if you take a look at the academic studies, it's more important to have a much broader diversity than just gender. Mm -hmm. You know, if you really want to be the best board, if you really want to tackle these issues and oversee and monitor, you need you need those different points of view, which include um, all sorts of diversity. Um, and and I think there were some of us saying that, but now that's mainstream too. Now someone woke up and said, "It's well, it's more than thirty percent women. It's 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 a much broader sense of diversity." So um, so I, I I think you see it. It's now it's now it's time for you know the midsize and smaller uh, companies. That is really interesting in terms of, for example, what's happened in California, right? We had this SB 826 law that was gender focused. It did create a lot of impact uh, in public corporations headquartered in California. And it was so successful, so to say, that they've used the same uh, model or structure for a uh, minorities. And now we have AB 979. And clearly, there is a focus on diversity from many different layers of governance. NASDAQ has proposed to the SEC a new regulation. Uh, there, is, there are class action lawyers. The institutional investors have been pushing for many years this side. I mean, I think at this stage, not understanding diversity uh, and the zeitgeist is, is, is missing the point, right? Absolutely. And, 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 it, and, it, and I would point that out at various conferences and, you know, people would kind of look at the ceiling, etc. I mean, the UK, for example, UK has done a great job with, with gender, with women, no doubt about it. But, you know, when I would ask them about their diversity, 
and 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 there are some there's some issues with Europe, but 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 the answer is absolutely. You know, what I look at, you know, I'm a student of governance and I'm looking at, you know, how can we have the best board um, that really is really being a steward, you know, for the company, for the shareholders, for the stakeholders, for the employees, um, but but ultimately um, adding value. And I think all of the academic literature shows that having diverse viewpoints and diverse perspectives, it will take much longer. And I can tell you that, you know, when you have the, when you have robust discussion, um, but, but you're going to get to a better place, Mm -hmm. your your decision, because, you know, you, you, you know, you don't bat a thousand every time you just don't. There's too many, uh, there's too many pieces of, 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 of that equation. So by having a diverse board, you really are guaranteeing um, or, or helping yourself get a better result. And, and tied to this as well, I suppose it could be an offshoot of ESG and the E side is, is climate change and, and sustainability. Um, and it's also been a strong part of the agenda and, and maybe now with a new administration, how do you think about climate change now from the corporate perspective and the board perspective? What are boards doing now that is different maybe to five years ago or even two years ago in terms of climate change? Yeah, well, climate has been, an, an, well, sustainability and climate has been important to Prudential. I would say seven or eight years ago, um, they felt it was so important that they actually uh, wanted a committee to oversee and monitor it, and that was the governance committee. And we were, and we also uh, had an expert um, who, who not only on on a sustainability and climate, but but also uh, was an expert on human capital management. So we we were we were very lucky, um, and we put that as a requirement: the skills and experience matrix we have we realize that you really need folks in order to oversee and monitor, you have to look at your short-term and long-term objectives. And so you need board members that have those skills that they really can oversee it. So I think that's really one of the most important thing. The second thing is board education. You know, we're developing education for the board, you know, via, again, there's so many things, so little time, but you know, portal education for board members really to, to get them to the point that they're feeling more comfortable on on you know what their responsibilities are, where this area is going. Um, not only do they review the sustainability report, or they read it, or they get presentations. Um, you know, we're we're, we're we're giving them opportunities to get even more knowledgeable. So they they certainly. And not all of them will be experts, but they get an understanding of kind of the risks and opportunity when they're looking at sustainability and climate. And I'm I'm curious. So, what is your recommendations in terms of education for board members? I mean, is it going to conferences? Is it getting some sort of material? Is it inviting experts into the board? Is it a mix of everything? You know, it it. it you need a toolbox. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, for, for some boards, it, it could be, you know, writing a memo. For some boards, it's expertise. For some boards, it's it's one of their own that has that background. And I think you're seeing that more and more, particularly in certain industries, where they're looking for one or two board members that, that really are fluent mm-hmm. um, in sustainability. 
Um, so I, th- I think, you know, like a true lawyer, I'll say it depends. Mm-hmm. But I think board members um, are recognizing that the ESG is, is important. So one of the challenges of that approach, which, which obviously, as you said, it depends, it could be the right approach, is that there are many layers of expertise needed. For example, cybersecurity, right? Like that's been on the rise for the last, you know, five, again, five, 10 years. It's, it's a huge issue. Uh, technology, huge. I mean, here in Silicon Valley is kind of the cradle of disruption and you've seen industries uh, going bust left, right and center and the technology companies are really uh, have thrived in this COVID-19 environment. And, you know, a lot of people are saying you should have entrepreneurs on your board, you know, people who understand where the future is going at different models, you know, more about online internet and even crypto markets, right? Like we are seeing all time highs in Bitcoin and Ethereum in DeFi, which is decentralized finance. Um, you know, how do you how do you think about technology and cybersecurity? And also, how challenging is it to bring experts to the board that are in all these different uh, vertical domains? Well, I mean, the answer is you can't, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, you know, and particularly if you're talking about Silicon Valley, but any board, you, you don't want 25 board members. You right. can't do that. So you have to look at this as risk and opportunity. Now there are, there are exceptions for 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 some businesses. Um, you know, the technology and or cybersecurity can kill them in a moment. And so may, maybe that's one that you need more focus, and you certainly need a lot more expertise on the board, rather than to have a plan on how are you going to get educated, informed. Um, and become knowledgeable about really what the risks and opportunities are. You know, I just, uh, you know, it remind. well, it, 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 I was going to say it reminds me years ago, um, there were certain law firms that said every board member should really have counsel if they're going mm-hmm. to be on the board because it's dangerous. Um, you know, there's so many risks, so so little time. You really have to focus on what's the most important and critical um, and it, 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 it may be relevant, you know, for some having a cybersecurity committee may be the thing that you need, but not necessarily for every committee. It is a risk. The same thing with technology. It affects us all. So you certainly need um, you need directors that really have that background expertise so that they can monitor, oversee or know when you perhaps have to go out and get an independent third party to you know, to, to give them an assessment or, or an audit. Um, so, so that's kind of my philosophy, um, which is, again, it goes back to it depends. Um, I, I'm a big believer if you have the right board, um, you really have to, you have to give them um, the authority in order to do it the right way. Um, but you don't necessarily need one of each. Uh, right. Because as I said, we just don't have room for 25 people on the board. Exactly. Or, or you could fall and, and, you know, the matter of the day, and, and it could be, you know, two years from now, we have another big issue coming up, you know, as a corporate governance uh, follower and, and student like you, uh, I've been very intrigued uh, about how blockchain could uh, help uh, governance. Do you have any idea in terms of or, or perception on how this is affecting at all at this stage, or is it still very early days to see how it could impact different layers of governance, right? I mean, I think there are people who say blockchain could 
create a whole new set of uh, corporate structures that don't require shares and no, no more boards, right? Which was one extreme. And the others is, you know, maybe blockchain is useful for voting and other issues that you can track. Any ideas on your side? I'm just curious. Well, you know, I'm certainly not an expert in that, although, you know, I, I, I'm very interested. You know, I listen to people like you, Evan, mm -hmm. when you talk mm -hmm. about these types of things. I do think the latter for things like voting um, and, and, you know, uh, shareholder registers, things like that, that, that I, I, I see some major advantages. Okay. So, Peggy, one uh, last question on the hot topics in governance is shareholder activism. And obviously, you've just gone through a big campaign with Carl Icahn at Occidental. And what would be your recommendations for directors after going through one of these campaigns and having seen uh, shareholder activist campaigns throughout your career? Has it changed? Is it a, a new phenomena? Is it the old same phenomena? And what would be your recommendation for directors? Well, let me start with my recommendation for directors first. And, and I think most good boards do this. You've got to be your own activist. As a board member, you have a, a, a duty um, to really ask those questions and, and to look at the perspective from adding value um, and, and long-term shareholder value. So, so um, you know, if, 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 if you are a good director, you ask those questions, you know, and, and you, you ask for answers and, and you ask for alternatives. So I don't think that's changed. I think it just highlights that, 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 you know, you know, this is, this is not, you know, you're, you're not there for the pastries, <laughs> you know, you, you, you have obligations and you have duties and you have to do that. Um, and you've got to ask those difficult questions. And again, you can do it in a collegial way, but, but, that 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 is your job. That is your responsibility, because certainly, if an investor, if an activist comes in, they're going to be doing it, and they're perhaps not going to be quite as collegial. But but it has to get done. So I think that that hasn't changed. Um, it's just um, it's gone up a couple of degrees. Um, you know, you're always reading that, and, and I don't know if it's wishful thinking by uh, those that feed off of activists. But you hear that next year or this year, it's going to be. You know, it's going to be very active and, you know, all the investment banks and law firms are telling you that and it's probably good for their business, too. But but <laughs> but but I uh, I don't you know, I, I do believe that most activists um, really um, are are doing it for the right reason. Um, I, I think there are probably some that it might be a little questionable, but 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 they are seeing opportunities um, to modify change, you know, for shareholder value. Um, so I think boards should 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 take that lesson and 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 be proactive. Okay. Yes, I think I think that's a, a very good analysis in terms of what's what's next for boards and 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 that not all of them are bad, right? So let's finish up with uh, a rapid fire questions. Uh, what are the one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? Oh my gosh. Um, I have to say the Bible, you know, certainly growing up and uh, for all sorts of reasons. Um, uh, and to kill a mockingbird, that's mm -hmm. probably, that's probably one of the reasons why I went to law school. But, you know, I, I can think of two books that I read um, in high school, uh, Winesburg, Ohio, and Bartleby the Scrivener that really taught me what I didn't want to do, which is um, I didn't want to take my hopes and dreams and put them on 
little pieces of paper and put them in my cardigan uh, to have them forgotten. So I, I, I wanted a, a I wanted a life with purpose, uh, and I wanted to be active, not passive. Um, and um, I did not want to say I prefer not to. I wanted to say I prefer to. So those are probably, you know, th- those are the ones that come to mind. <laughs> those are great. Uh, and and who were your mentors, and what did you learn from them? You know, I, I, starting out, mentors were all family members. My father, you know, was a Again, coming from a large family, he was a, a big proponent of women, you know, saying we could do, and again, I had many, many sisters, you know, we could do whatever we could do. And, and um, but then, you know, I was very fortunate going to business um, uh, and it was actually uh, CEOs, uh, CEO at JP Morgan, Dennis Weatherstone, going to Pfizer, a CEO, uh, Bill Steer, the CFO, David Shedlars. Um, and on my first board, there was probably one of, uh, actually Karen Caton um, at Pfizer too. And, and then on my first board, um, there was a there's only two of us. She was the first woman. And it was really, um, it was really wonderful, um, you know, having her as, as a mentor. Um, what board was that? That was the uh, Moni board and it was Jane Pfeiffer and, and uh, you know, God rest her soul. Um she was wonderful, you know. She, uh, being the actually the first public board, um, she was incredibly helpful and willing to share and funny. And um, she had spent her career at IBM, and um, you know, again, she really. We all stand on the shoulders of giants, and mm-hmm. and she was a giant. So, um, uh, very very lucky. Well, that's great uh, to hear from uh, from them. And are there any quotes that you think of often or you live your life by? Well, you know, it's interesting because I have to give so much advice. There's one I have in my office and I'll probably misquote it, but speak the truth, but leave quickly, you know, <laughs> is something, uh, you know, which is you have to be open, transparent and honest, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do it in do it in a good way. But 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 I, I think that cuts through a, a, a lot of stuff. <laughs> That's great. I love that one. Uh, and is there an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? Well, I wouldn't say I love, but I, I have this habit, uh, you know, for, for uh, you know, as a, as a college student, uh, you know, one of the things I did to make money was clean houses. So I guess if I'm very nervous uh, or I have something important that I don't want to do, I end up cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> so have me over if, yeah, uh, yeah. if I'm in that state. Interesting. Uh, I can see some linkage with governance there. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and so which uh, living person do you most admire? You know, it's not one. There, there, there are so many people. As I said before, I don't care what side you are on or even politically. I look at people's character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think in, in the governance front, there are two women that I, I think are fabulous. Um, Sarah Teslik, who is um, who is at Joel Frank, who headed up the CII as executive mm-hmm. director. Again, you know, I was a young lawyer and, and Sarah was so helpful, so honest, so smart, so hardworking. Um, you know, Sarah knows everyone and will share anything. And the other one was, uh, uh, you know, Elise uh, uh, Walter. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was on the Occidental board with me, and again was on the SEC, FINRA, uh, and was uh, you know was the acting chair of of the SEC. Again, one of the smartest people I know. 
um, and so honest, so focused, um, and 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 really um, a mentor to to so many people. So uh, again, I I really and truly feel blessed when I meet folks like that 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 are willing to help others share. Um, and organize, yeah, and educate people. So uh, again, I've, I've, you know, it, it's been a good run for me. Well, I, I love uh, finishing with character because I do agree that above everything else, character is the most important thing and the long term. And and that is, if you don't have character, then everything else fall, falls apart. So. Uh, with that, Peggy, thank you very much for having this conversation. It's great to have your viewpoints. And, you know, you are a tremendous leader in this industry uh, and you have been for so long. So uh, thank you again. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, Evan. Thank you for tuning in to the Boardroom Governance Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing, leaving a review or sharing this podcast on social media. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can just find me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Evan Epstein. You can also check out all the details related to this podcast on the website boardroom-governance.com and please feel free to subscribe to the Boardroom Governance newsletter at evanepstein.substack.com.